If you have your Bibles, and I certainly hope you do, go ahead and turn with me to Luke chapter 17. We're going to be reading verses 7 through 10 this morning. I want to invite Michael Thorne, one of our elders, up to read for us this morning out of Luke chapter 17. And would you please, if you're able, stand with us out of respect for God's Word. Uh, always pray and hope that you bring your Bibles with you here to, to, to church. But if you don't have a Bible, one of the things we always want to encourage is get one. And you have an opportunity to get a free Bible out in our um, lobby at Info Central. And so if you came this morning you don't have a Bible or access to a Bible, we want you to have one. And so feel free after the service to go grab one um, for yourself. Those are for anybody who needs one. Michael, brother, I'll pass it off to you. Any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep, say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. Church, hear the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning. And uh, as we pray this morning for the people of Iran, um, it's so good for us to be reminded that not everybody in the world has the privilege to be able to come into a place like this every single week to hear your word. Lord, may that be a privilege we never take for granted. And Lord, we pray that you would sustain it for years to come. But Lord, now in this moment, as we come into this time, ask that you would help us to see what you would have for us. Father, may our hearts be open to hear the voice of your spirit, encourage us, correct us. Um, Lord, Lord, to, to even admonish us if need be. Lord, may we hear from your voice, and we as your people, that we might then be obedient, that we might be more conformed in the likeness of your Son. Lord, that's our goal. That's our desire. Not to hear from men, but to hear from you. And so, Lord, certainly at that being our goal, I pray, Lord, that if there's anything in me that is about to be said, may it be forgotten, may it be left to the wayside. But, Father, if it's of you, may you, by your Spirit, plant it in the hearts of your people. May you open the eyes of those who cannot see. May you open the ears of those who cannot hear. Father, and would you grow up those seeds to full maturity? Lord, I ask and I pray these things, knowing my weakness and our need and dependence upon you. And so we ask all of this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, so we get into this parable. And before we jump into it, let me just uh, share something. I'm guessing most everybody in this room at some stage has uh, come into a place of, of conflict in your family, whether you have kids or you've been a kid at some point, all of us have, and there's this one particular conflict that tends to happen. So the way it might happen in my home looks a little bit like this. I tell one of my kids, hey, I need you to go out and mow the lawn. And they look at me with that moment of kind of unspoken expectation of like, well, how much am I going to get paid? Right? Anybody ever had that? I did that to my parents all the time, right? And my response as a dad, at least what I'm thinking in my head is, well, I'll tell you what you get paid. You get to eat tonight, right? 
Uh, that's in Sarah's clapping because she's probably said the same thing. And now in jest, my kids are really, really good about that. But the reason I say that is because we kind of all have this understanding that there's this moments where we have certain expectations in regards to, well, if I do this, I should get this. If I do this, then this should happen, even within a home, even within the confines of a house and the parents and kids. Like, we get that. The fact of the matter is, we all, as Christians and even people who aren't Christians, we all have at some level certain expectations of the Lord. And it's important for us to ask the question, what are our expectations of God? Like that is a really serious question. And we talked about that before because we all have them. And we might say, well, I don't, I'm not a person who has like expectations of the Lord. And, and I would never be that because we kind of have the, this innate sense that that's not a good thing. That's not a, a good idea for us to have expectations of God. And yet, we all do. Some of those expectations are really good expectations. Like, for example, I have the expectation that if I, am, if I confess my sins to the Lord, that he's going to be faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. I have the expectation that if I draw near to him, that he is going to draw near to me. I have the expectation that if I walk faithfully and I endure to the end in my faith in Jesus Christ, that I'm going to be given an inheritance, a part of the kingdom of God. Like, these are good expectations. Now, it's important to know there are expectations that are based upon the promises of God, right? They're based upon what God has said he's going to be faithful to do, in our lives and through us. And so my expectations are there, but the fact is many of our expectations oftentimes, and we don't even think about it, aren't founded upon the word of God. They're founded upon what we think should be fair or what we think should be the right way to handle it. So what could some of those expectations be? Well, an expectation of, well, if I go to church and I read my Bible and I pray once a week, or I pray at this, this amount of times, and I do um, mostly good things, and I stay away from all the really big bad sins, then I have the expectation that God should keep away from my life suffering and difficulty, death, sickness, disease. And you have maybe the expectation, if I lead my business really well with integrity and I care for my employees and justice, that if I do that, then the expectation is that God is going to make my business profitable. Now, here's the thing. I've known Christians who have led their businesses with integrity, and they've done it well, and they've sought justice, and they've treated their people with love, and God has profited their businesses and blessed them. But I've known Christians who have done the same thing and their business didn't go so well. The point is, and whether or not sometimes he does that, the point is we can't have the expectation that God would do that because that's something he's never promised to us. Now, the point is we have all kinds of expectations upon the Lord. And it's important for us to understand and to know those expectations because, and we've said this before in our services, that oftentimes our frustrations at God come when he doesn't meet the expectations we think he should meet. Now, where does that play into this parable? Well, it plays into this parable because Jesus begins to teach and to share this parable of these servants that are coming in from the fields and to tell us because his disciples needed to have an understanding of the expectations of the relationship between him and them, between the Father and himself. So that's what we're going to look at today. 
is what our expectations should be regarding our relationship with the Lord. Now, before we jump into the specifics, there's two foundational truths that we have to deal with before we get into the specifics of what Jesus is teaching in this parable. The first is when we read this in our English language, we hear the term servant. And here's the thing. In the Greek, the word for servant is doulos. That means slave. And that's a really important distinction. The reason why we've changed that in our English languages is because we're uncomfortable with that term because of the history, particularly, of our country. But the fact of the matter is, when Jesus is talking about it, he is talking about us as his slaves. And that is a foundation we have to start with. We are his slaves. We are his doulos. It's important for us not sugarcoat that. It lays the foundation for us to understand our relationship and expectations for both us and him. We are his slaves. We are his, he owns us. He's our master. Like That makes us uncomfortable, doesn't it? Like, to even say that in our lives. Now, listen, it's really important that we understand that when we say that, it does not mean that we're not also his friends. And then we are not also his sons and daughters. See, the Scripture tells us we're his slaves, we're his sons and daughters, we're his friends, because each of those things illuminates for us some component of the relationship that we are to have with the Father, with the Lord. But we want to focus oftentimes on the idea of sons and daughters and the idea of being friends and not really think about the idea of being his slaves because that is really uncomfortable for us, particularly in this day and age. But it's important that we understand what Jesus is saying here because the idea of a servant can kind of have this idea of, well, I'm serving him for a particular gain, or this idea that their service is somehow voluntary. No. We have been bought with a price. We have been redeemed. We are his. We are his slaves. Now, with that, being a slave assumes that there are also certain duties that we are expected to to do, leading us to our second foundation. Not only are we his slaves, but we also have a duty to our master. Again, something that makes us very uncomfortable. Several generations ago, this wasn't always seen as a bad thing. Many of you who are in this room who've lived years prior to the world in which we live right now saw duty as a virtue. We had duty to our country, duty to your employer, duty to your family. Like there was this this virtuous idea of duty and that that was a good thing to serve and to engage that kind of duty. But somewhere around the 60s and onward, this idea of duty has slowly become a vice in our culture. That duty is somehow a bad word. And it's somehow an enemy to our personal fulfillment, to our own desires, to our own satisfactions. As Christians, we have to get beyond our cultural lenses and realize that we have a duty to our master. And your love for the master is not in contradiction to your duty to the master. Well, like, you would be crazy to say within a marriage that there are not times and things you do as service and an act of duty to your spouse, that's a good thing at times. 
Because if you're always just trusting on your feelings to lead you forward to do the things that are supposed to be done in a marriage or any other relationship, it will fall apart. Duty is sometimes a beautiful, anchoring thing in a relationship. And we have duties to our master. It's not a duty to earn his favor. That has been given to us because we have his favor. It's a duty because we have been redeemed, because we have been bought, because we have been purchased. So, we understand. Here's our foundations. We are slaves, and we also have a duty to serve our master. This is not voluntary. It's not some request. Which then leads us to this, and this is our main topic for the day. What does the work of a slave look like? What is the work of a slave? A slave works for the benefit of the master. A slave works for the profit of the master. They live their lives for the master, for his household, for his kingdom. On one hand, as Christians, we know and we recognize that our service to the master is birthed out of our, the favor and the mercy and the grace that we have been granted And our service comes out of a deepening and deepened desire to connect with him, to have relation with him, to be dependent upon him, to be intertwined with him in person. And so we see him going about his work, and we want to be with him, alongside of him as he's working, and we want to be serving him in that work. Like it's one hand, like this comes out of a deep love for God, a deep understanding of what we've been given by Christ and through Christ. I love Psalm 16, verse 2 says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And so on one hand, this drives our service to the Lord, is our love of the Lord, our desire to be with the Lord. But on the other hand, as I've already said, slavery, it isn't voluntary. It's not optional. We've been bought. We've been redeemed. We've been redeemed through the blood and the suffering of Jesus' ministry towards us. And the question, how do you feel about your kingdom, your world, your desires suffering for the good of his? Let me ask that question again. How do you feel about your kingdom, your world, your desires suffering for the good of of his, for the expanse of his, for the glory of his name. See, the work of a slave is one that primarily looks to the business of the master before they ever look at the business of their own. Now, there's some characteristics that we see in this parable in Luke that Jesus wants his disciples to understand. One is that the work of a slave is never finished. And the slave in Luke chapter 17 comes in from the field, comes in from caring from the sheep. And it makes it very clear that this slave doesn't come in to just rest and lay down his his work and, and just kind of watch TV. No, no, he continues his service to the master. He continues it through the night. It's only after our work is completely done will we enter into complete rest. And brothers and sisters, our work will not be done until the race has been won. Which means until we come face to face with him. 
You may say, well, what am I supposed to do about rest then? Like if, it, if my work and service to the Lord and my slavery and, and my engagement and my duty to the Lord never ends, like when am I going to rest? Like, aren't we supposed to have Sabbath? And I would say, absolutely, we are to have a Sabbath. But there's two things I want to point out regarding Sabbath. One, we aren't working for wages. We are working out of love. Amen? And Jesus makes abundantly clear multiple times in the New Testament dealing with the Sabbath and rest that it doesn't, it doesn't exclude you from loving those around you. So, for example, Jesus says, like, if your sheep falls into a well, even on a Sabbath, like, wouldn't you take care of that? Like, wouldn't you get him out of the well? So here's a practical thing. You can't say, we can't say, that, well, Sunday's my day of rest, to just come to church and just consume, because I'm here to rest. No, no, the Lord would say, you're here to love one another as well. And so, like, Scott was wearing Central Kids t-shirt because he comes every week to love our kids, and the Lord smiles upon that. He serves by loving those around him. He serves by loving our kids. And so one thing about the Sabbath is the Sabbath doesn't mean you don't do anything. The Sabbath means and intends for us to focus on love and justice first and foremost. Second, if we truly want to be faithful to the Sabbath... Put away your phone, put away your computer, put away your TV, put away your sports, and spend time with him and the fellowship of the believers. So if we're going to say, no, 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 this is a place of rest and I'm going to rest, then rest the way God intends us to rest. And that doesn't mean that it's a day for you to do all your work at home and to watch TV. It means it's a day for you to focus upon him and to connect with him and to commune with him in fellowship of believers. And so rest is important, but it's intended to be the way God wanted it to be. Now, here's the thing that makes this so difficult. So many of us want to compartmentalize our walks. We want to compartmentalize our walks. And part of that is because we live in a day and age where we are compartmentalizing everything. Like you think, okay, I wake up in the morning and I go to work, and that time that I give to my employer, that 50, 40, 60 hours a week that I give to the employer, that's his time. But then I've got my time of rest and relaxation, and then I've got some family time over here, and, and then I'm going to give a little bit of church time, right? And so we live in this world where we compartmentalize certain aspects of our lives and say, okay, when I'm at work, it's not family, and when I'm at family, it's not me personal rest, and so we compartmentalize all this. Brothers and sisters, you don't compartmentalize Jesus. He is your Lord at work. He is your Lord at home. He is your Lord when you're sitting in front of the computer. He is your Lord when you're going to the grocery store, when you're cooking food, when you're on vacation. You don't get time off. We don't. Slaves don't get time off. Our, our, our work is never done. Our work is never finished while we are on this world, while we are in this, in this place. And so you don't ever get to come to a place where you've said like, oh, okay, I've done enough. I'm retiring from serving the king of kings. That's not how it is. And so many of us want to compartmentalize. We say, oh, I'm going to give Jesus this time in the morning, and then the rest of the day is for me. I'm going to give Jesus a little bit of time on Sunday, 
But the rest, that's for me. This is not the way it is with the Lord. He does not allow us to compartmentalize our lives. He wants everything. And he deserves everything. So the work of a slave is never finished. The work of a slave is also rarely rewarded. Verse 9 poses this question. Does a master thank the servant because he did his duty? Now here's the question. I want to be very, very clear. When I say that the servant is rarely rewarded, here's what I'm not saying. I am not saying you will not receive, nor can you expect to receive a reward in a new heaven and new earth one day. That is guaranteed. That is promised for you. What he's talking about and what I'm talking about is rarely can you have the expectation that you are going to receive a temporal reward every time you do something for the kingdom of God. So I'm going to go serve kids this week, and so I have the expectation because I did that great act of self-sacrificial service, which is more true for some than it is others, right? Because I did that, that great work that Jesus should reward me somehow. It's not how this works. We're not called to do it that way. We're not called to live our lives that way. We're not called to expect to be rewarded. We are to work faithfully. And again, reward does come. And sometimes reward even comes in this day and in this age. But that is not a moment for you to be thankful just for that reward. It's also a moment for you to look towards your eternal reward and be reminded that ultimately that is your home not this one. And so the work of a slave is never finished, and the work of a slave is rarely rewarded. And the work of a slave slave should be humble. They should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. One of the things I think this, this is reminding us of is that there's no first, second, third-class citizens in the kingdom of God. There's not one really, really appreciated type of service in the kingdom of God and one type of service that he kind of goes, well, that's okay. And can't we do that in our own worlds? Like we look at, oh, well, Darren, he's a pastor, so that must be a really, really smiled-upon type of service because he's a pastor and he's vocationally doing this. Or, and what about that missionary? Like that missionary, he must be really, really major within the kingdom of heaven. No, that is not how the economy of God works. All service is seen by the king, and all service is valued by the king, And some of the greatest, in fact, he's very, very clear that those who serve the most and give the most, who lay themselves down the most in humility and quietness, they will be the ones who are greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Some of the people that I've known that have had the most impact on my life are the people whose names you will never know. But day in and day out, they laid their lives down for kids, for other people, Nobody ever knew it. The slave is to be humble, not prideful, being like, look at me, look at what I'm doing. Look at the role in which I have within the church. That is not reality. And if you ever feel like, well, I just, the kind of service I could give to the church is just not as good or it's just not as much. That is a lie of the enemy, meant to keep you from doing anything for the kingdom of God. And you speak truth to that. 
The Lord looks joyfully upon all of the service to his kingdom and to his body. And so the work of a slave is never finished. It is never and is rarely rewarded in this day and age temporally, and it is always to be humble. Now, as I thought about this, I realized that there are some real enemies when it comes to us walking this way, when it comes to us as the people of God seeking to be faithful to this. There are some real enemies to faithful service. Our nature, our culture, our world, for one, doesn't see this kind of a life as virtuous, sees it as foolish. It feels unnatural to our flesh. So what are some of the enemies to this kind of faithful service? One is our hope for glory and recognition. We love to have other people see our service, don't we? I don't know if you've ever had that moment where you've done something, I don't know, you've been driving down on the road and you see someone on the side of the road and you decide, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop and I'm going to care for them and, and you take them somewhere to get gas and then after you take them to get gas, you share the gospel with them and you invite them to dinner and they go to dinner and you just love on them and you care for them and, and then they're gone and they're, they've left don't you feel this gnawing need inside of you to let someone know what you just did? Is that just me? Right? Like, like, like when you really have that moment where you do something that's totally quiet and totally in the secret and nobody saw it, like there is something that nags at us. Just, just make a prayer request, Right? Be like, Lord, would you help that person that I stopped on the side of the road for and, and cared for him, right? Like, we have all kinds of fun, tricky ways to make sure people see the things we do. We, are, we want to be recognized for the things we do. We want people to see all of the fruits that God is bearing in our lives. I think of uh, uh, Tom Hanks in the movie Castaway. I don't know how many of you have ever seen it, but he, he gets cast away onto an island, and he's trying at one point early in the movie to try to make a fire, and he's trying real hard, and he cuts his hand, and he can't get the fire going. Well, he finally gets the fire going, and the movie shows him on the beach with this roaring fire, and he's dancing around the beach going like, look what I have made. And it's just like this need, like, man, see how amazing I've done, but there's nobody on the beach, right? Nobody cares he's made the fire. Here's the point. The point is, we need to understand that there is a nagging desire in our lives, even when we are doing something for the kingdom of God, for people to recognize us. We love to be recognized. It is hard to not want to exalt ourselves, even with our acts of service to the kingdom. But Scripture would call us to wait for Him to exalt you. Matthew 23, verse 13 says this, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This is Jesus' expectation. We can fight this enemy in us by trusting him to exalt us. That we would be only serving for his name, not our own. The second enemy that we need to be aware of is the hope that we all have for reciprocity. Reciprocity means to exchange things or services with someone else for mutual benefit. 
we need to understand and be reminded that our relationship with God is not a reciprocal relationship. It is not a, if you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours type of relationship. Brothers and sisters, God is never obligated to us for anything except to keep his promises, which he joyfully gives us. We need to be reminded he does not need anything from us. He doesn't need anything from us. He's God. He is holy. He is almighty. He has no need of resources. He makes resources. He doesn't need our service. He calls us into service that we might know him more. That we might experience what it is to be in him. Romans 11, chapter 11, verse 35 says, Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? We have to resist the notion that our service somehow puts him into our debt. You can never, ever get rid of the debt you owe God for his grace and mercy in Jesus Christ. You could serve him, you could give him everything from, from now until the day you meet him, it still isn't sufficient. And you know what? He doesn't expect it to be sufficient. He doesn't ask it to be sufficient. That's not the point. And so this idea that somehow if we do enough that we obligate God to answer our prayers or to do things for us, brothers and sisters, is a lie from the enemy. You have been given the greatest gift ever, the grace of Jesus Christ and through faith that you might be part of the household of God and have access to the inheritance that we have been given to. And so when you feel the temptation to demand or to expect that he reciprocates your service, remember what he has already given to you. And focus upon the gift in which he has guaranteed for you in a new heaven and a new earth and rejoice in the king that he does not expect you to pay the debt that you owe him. Because that debt is way, way too big. The final enemy that keeps us from living a faithful life is the hope that we all have to serve ourselves. The world tells us to put our thoughts, our desires, our feelings, our benefits, our pleasure, our entertainment, our security, first and foremost. Tells us to put ourselves first in our workplaces, ourselves first in our homes, ourselves first in our marriages, ourselves first in our relationships. And, and, and brothers and sisters, I, I would tell you that just believing in God doesn't eliminate that temptation in us. In fact, it's amazing when you look at the, the, the different kinds of polls and research and surveys that are out there, you will find that the vast majority of Americans still believe in a God, and yet they have no problem believing that there's a God that ex exists, but yet they can still solely focus upon themselves as the center of their worlds. What is wrong with that reality? It's because the God that they believe in is not a God who has all authority over heaven and earth, who is the almighty king of kings, who is holy and righteous and sits upon a throne. He is a God that is loving and fuzzy 
and wants to make their lives better in this world and give them all the desires of their hearts and certainly would never have any expectations upon them at all. That is a lie. And if you believe that kind of God is the God you serve, that is an idol. It is not the God of the Bible. Our God sits upon a throne. The God of the Bible sits upon a throne and He determines what is right he determines what way we should walk. He determines in where there is life for us as His people. Our God does not ask us what we want to do. Our God says, this is what you are to do as my slaves. And my friends, and my sons, and my daughters. Our God is God. And we have to be careful to not adopt this idea of that God is somehow up in heaven seeking ways to serve us. And our hope to live these kind of self-serving lives, like brothers and sisters, is not ultimately going to lead us to life. We must be a people who seek to serve Him first and foremost. I want to end our time a little bit different this morning because I want to help us to see a vision for this type of life. And what you're about to watch in this video that we're going to see is a testimony of two men in our congregation. One who has, for decades, since I was a little kid, who has, for decades, served in the kind of never-quit, humble, never-expecting-a-reward kind of way. And in the other, you've seen even the fruits of his ministry create a legacy and a fruit within the body of Christ. And I want you to hear this testimony as, as, a, as a vision for what God has called us into and the joy and the goodness that is in this type of walk with the Lord. And so I want you to watch this video up on the screens. Mr. Peniston, it is so good to see you again. Thank you so much for having me in your home. You know, I've been missing you on Sunday. Where have you been? I have been right where you've been for all those years, doing my best to serve the Lord. What a joy it is to see you. Jesus. It's so great to see you too. When I think of service, that's something that, that growing up, I was always taught that you should help out. You should be there. But it was mainly just because someone might need help. And so to, to understand, for me, not being a believer into my 20s and actually being an adult, there were a whole lot of things about church, about the Bible, about faith that I didn't know. But one thing I knew was I could recognize service when I saw it. And I had been invited to come to Central by, by a friend of mine. And when I came in through the lobby to those main entry doors leading into the tunnel to come into the worship center, you were the first person in there I met. And you welcomed me with a, with a huge smile, a hearty handshake, and, and I actually felt like, wow, someone might care that I'm here. I don't necessarily remember a whole lot of other things about where I sat or anything else that happened, but I remember meeting you, I remember how welcoming you were, and I remember thinking, this guy, he's, he's here serving. He's, he's here before a lot of other people. And I'm like, oh, I wonder how often he does that. And it was every week. You had the opportunity to kind of prepare hearts and minds for worship before anything was ever said into a microphone or, or the first chord of music was struck. That level of service, that's crucial to the church. Chase, 
Those are kind words. When I first became a Christian, I went to church, but I didn't volunteer. I didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. But as I was given uh, the love of God, and I got a chance to serve different places, and uh, being a servant of God is not limited to greeting people. It's a, it's a service of helping wherever God needs you. Yes. And if you look for places to serve, you can find them. But if you find them and don't do anything, that's not good either. So what a joy it is to be able to shake the hands of people who come in and want to know what the, more about the Lord. And if I can encourage them to start at the beginning of the service, then they're prepared to hear the good news. I was watching, and I'm sure over the years, a whole lot of other people were watching. And you were just there. You're so consistent every single week. And, and I can't even really put into words. I'm trying and I'm failing to put into words right now how, how much it meant to me and what an incredible example it set. Well, you uh, need to know that when you see something that needs to be done and you have a chance to do it, that's what you do. Amen. I started off, uh, they were serving communion at uh, Central Downtown, and, uh, and then I got started to helping serve communion every Sunday. And uh, <clears throat> I was given the job as a miller, and that was again an opportunity to serve the church. And it's not serving the church, but it's letting Christ know that you love Him and you're willing to help in any way you can. You're exactly right, Dan. It's not about what can I get out of it or um, anything that I can do to get noticed or anything else. It truly is, we're serving the Lord. And I will, I will never forget, I knew very little about the Christian faith. I knew very little about Scripture. I knew very little about verses in the Bible or how to read the Bible or study the Bible. I had heard very few sermons. But I did know what volunteering looked like. And I did know what service looked like. And I saw you modeling that every single weekend. And it was later, as I kind of started to get to know you better, I realized that, that you, you weren't serving out of an obligation. You weren't even just serving because you thought it was the right thing to do. I, I learned from you that service, in the context of part of a body of a church, that service is, is something that we're called to do. And so it was something that I, I learned more from than you can possibly imagine. Well, I, I think being a servant of the Lord is uh, uh, your choice. And uh, if you do it to get your works uh, in order, that's wrong. But if you do it because you have a way of helping, uh, providing the love of God to somebody, and I love to shake hands, I love to, to be there. And uh, I think we need to all prepare ourselves to worship. And so what's better than greeting somebody and encouraging them and to help them uh, be prepared to hear the good news? There's not a single day that goes by where I don't ask the question, why me? As far as why do I, Chase Wilhite, have the blessing of being a part of the Lord's family? You know, uh, as a person grows older, he realizes what he's missed. How, how, how did I really 
know Christ from the very beginning. And so uh, it isn't that all of a sudden I'm a great Christian. The closeness that I got, not just at church, but in my family. Yeah. You can't, just can't leave what God can do in a family. It's just amazing. The uh, Christian life begins when you accept the Christ. And each day is a growing, yes. growing day. Amen. He gives us today. He doesn't promise us tomorrow. Today he gave us a day to come and do what this is. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, but, it's, <laughs> but tomorrow it's, it's going to be a blessing to me. We have to accept that we fall far short. Our walk is so crazy, and yet <laughs> God is a forgiving, loving God, and he forgives us. Those dumb things we do, but we have to ask. We can't just get it for nothing. We have to ask for His forgiveness. Yes. And thank you for the Lord that He gave us a way of receiving that forgiveness. Amen. Absolutely. You know, to this day, I, I miss seeing Dan at, at that door um, greeting every single Sunday. He's no longer able to do that, um, but I know his heart would be to do that. And I love what Dan said, that I went to church, and when I went to church, and he, and he, he makes this distinction and this understanding, like, you know, brothers and sisters, we don't just go to church. We are the church. They say you just go to a building, like you, you go to be the people of God. And one of the things he says, like when you see something that needs to get done, you just, you just do it. This is the kind of service the Lord wants for us, the kind of service that leads legacy, that, that gives vision for, for what life should be in Christ, and, and a reminder that we're there because God has done so much for us. And listen, I cannot tell you what your particular slavery to God and Jesus should look like. I'm not the master, but I can press you to go to him and ask, what service, what duty do you have for me today? If you are truly open to his leading, I know he's going to be faithful to show you. He's going to be faithful to help lead you into that space. And I would also encourage you to like, just start somewhere. Just start somewhere. By us entering into the ministry where we lay down ourselves for the sake of God's work, God's kingdom, and for other people, you will experience the presence of God and a connection to the Lord that you can't just find in just reading the Bible. This is one of the reasons why people always come back from things like mission trips and they say, like, I felt so close to the Lord. It's not because they learned more. It's because they were doing more with him in those moments experiencing him. And this is the life that we're all called to have. The gospel is the beautiful and wonderful news that we, are, we're all, we were all slaves to sin. We were slaves to the world. We were slaves to God's enemy. We were slaves to death. We were slaves to ourself. And even then, in that moment, Christ died for us. And his blood bought us back, purchased us, Purchase those who would cry out and call upon his name, those who would trust him, put their faith in him for everything. He would redeem them. 
He would bring them into his household. He would make them heirs, sons and daughters. But we would also live as slaves, joyful slaves of his work, to his glory and his, his kingdom. We should be slaves of God. I want to pray. Lord, sometimes when we hear a sermon like this, it's hard because we go, well, what am I supposed to do? But in the end, this is more about our hearts. Are we, are we seeking to truly walk as your slaves, as those who have been bought, have been purchased by you? Father, are we failing to pay attention to some of those enemies of faithful service and we're more concerned about our own lives and our own benefits and our own business. We're more concerned about recognition than we are about your glory and your name. Lord, I pray that if that's where we are, that you would help us to see that, that you would do a work in our hearts by your spirit, that we might have a zeal and a desire to serve you for your namesake, for your glory, for your kingdom, that we would just, like those in this parable, that we would just say, we're just, we're just unworthy servants. We've only done what we're supposed to do. We've only done what was our duty. We've only done what you've asked us to do. I, I pray, Father, that we would be a church, a people in this place and in this time that are defined by a walk with you that looks like we're slaves to you. Not just part-time, not just for 60 hours a week or three hours a week when we go to church, but full-time. That we would be wholly sold out to express our love to you by faithful service as you, our God, our King, our authority, tells us and shows us how to live because you are the way, the truth, and the life. So Lord, as we close this time, I just pray that you would build this seal in us, that you would help us to examine our hearts. Asking that question, who are we serving? Who are we serving? with our lives, with our days, with our jobs, with our families. Who are we serving? And Lord, if you, by your grace, convict us by your spirit that we are oftentimes serving ourselves, Lord, would you not only help us to confess that before you, but that by your spirit, you would give us the strength to faithfully serve the way that you have called us to. And that in that, we would experience deeper walk with you, a more joyful walk with you. Father, I pray for those this morning that are here. They've never put their faith in you. They either don't believe you exist at all or they have expectations of you that are not right according to how you've revealed yourself. Father, they want to live according to their own ways. They want to do what is right in their own eyes. Father, I pray that you would help them to see that that path will not lead to life. 
that while they think they may be free to do what they want, the truth is they are shackled to sin and death and to an enemy that wants nothing but their harm. And I pray, Father, that you would help their eyes to be open to that, that they may see and that they may be freed so that they could serve. Father, as we close this time, I just pray that you would lead your people forward. Show us what you would have us do and help us to be faithful to say yes, regardless of what it is. I pray, Father, these things in your name.